Hello again, and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast Series Number Three. And this is Episode One of Ten. I thought I would find some new theme music for this series and it's following on from the theme music that I used in the last podcast which was a coronavirus special so this is another 14th century Italian piece from the time of the plague from the time of the Black Death it's called Istampita Gaeta and, uh, and Istampita is a sort of very stylized dance tune and Gaeta is its name, but nobody actually knows what Gaeta means. Um, it was written around about 1350, and uh, it's a very long and complicated piece that goes on and on and on and doesn't repeat itself for quite a long time. Very stylized music, those Italian pieces from the 14th century. It's played um, by a group called the Defy Collective, and it's on an album called A Dance in the Garden of Mirth. So you can check it out on YouTube and Spotify and things like that if you want to hear more of it. But enough, enough. Let's move from the 14th century, bang up to date into plague-ridden... Um, what century are we in? <laughs> yeah, 21st, I guess, but it feels like the 14th at times. It's the 14th with better internet. So I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're doing all right. It's been a strange old year, and I think it's going to get stranger. Goodness knows what 2021 is going to be like. But here we go. We've got this other series now, so I hope that you enjoy it, and you're going to sit back and listen, and maybe it'll make some sense in a crazy world that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or maybe it'll make no sense at all. Let's see where we go. So I guess one of the things that has happened this year is that people have felt kind of shredded. You know, it's a kind of shredding process, having all of the sort of uh, normal things of life being taken away, like freedom and holidays and all of those things that I hear normal people kind of often expect to have. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk, to start this series at least, with talking about personal power, because um, power is a really interesting concept, and uh, it's a big concept, and maybe we'll carry on into other sort of podcasts, let's see where we get to with this one, but personal power, so what does that word mean to you? Is it kind of like your ability to choose what you want to do? Is it your charisma? Is it your ability to dominate other people and get your own way? Is it your ability to think clearly? What is personal power? Well, of course, this is a podcast to do with shamanism and animism and things kind of spiritual. So what would personal power be in a shamanic point of view? Is it the ability to control the spirits and make them do your bidding? Is it the ability to control the weather? What is it? What is this strange, undefined thing? I would tend to use 
words that we don't have in the English language. Power is such a strange word for us in the English language and conjures up all sorts of connotations which are not really relevant to the concepts in shamanism. Really, we think of it as uh, as a sort of very material thing, a very physical world thing. It's like the government has power, the police have power. Uh, we may feel powerful, we may feel powerless, but it's all to do with this physical world. But that is not really the case when we're dealing with the word from a shamanic context. So I would tend to use words that weren't from English. And the words that I tend to use because of the practices that I'm involved in are wind horse, which, okay, that's an English word, but it's an English translation of lungta, which is a Tibetan word, wind horse. Himuri in Mongolian, same thing. And uh, there's another Tibetan word that I use, yang, which is uh, nothing to do with yin and yang, which is slightly confusing, but yang is a kind of form of, of presence in the world, of positive presence, of strong positive presence. And of course, in the West now, we're quite familiar with the word qi, as in tai chi or qigong. And there's a Native American word, which I believe is Cherokee, but I'm not 100% certain about that, um, which is orende, and that's the same kind of concept as chi. So there are alternative words out there, but our culture, our Western culture, does not tend to do very well with subtle words that describe energy and spiritual things. We are rather clumpy, which is why a lot of these other words from other cultures get used as a sort of spiritual jargon. And we need those, I think, because it's difficult, otherwise we have to kind of say long paragraphs to describe something, whereas another word, just one single word, maybe in Tibetan or Sanskrit or whatever, says it all. So it's good to learn that kind of jargon, I think. Jargon can be a good thing, it's a shorthand. So this podcast is about qi, about lungta, about yang, and what is it, and why is it important, and how to cultivate it, because that's really what a lot of shamanism is about, or at least that's something that a shaman does a great deal. They need to cultivate their lungta, their wind horse. Not so that they can use it to do magic, but so that they have the ability to be in touch with the spirits and to hold themselves in balance. The more wind horse you have, the more you're able to be in balance with yourself and all of your relatives and the world around you. And that is something that a shaman has to have, has to be able to be grounded and solid and be able to actually communicate well with the spirits in a, in a clear way, in a way that is not going to get kind of conflicted and twisted and warped and their own kind of emotional stuff getting in the way. So the cultivation of wind horse, of personal power, is very, very important. So I'm going to say a little bit about it from the traditions that I work with which are really Himalayan and Mongolian. 
So some of these things are going to come from Tibetan traditions, some from Mongolian shamanic traditions, and um, and they actually go together very well. And they are all, in a way, part of a pre-Buddhist Central Asian tradition, which is very ancient and spanned the whole area. Researchers have seen similarities between the pre-Buddhist Bon traditions of Tibet and the shamanism of the Buryat Mongols and other Mongolian peoples. And uh, these go way, way back uh, to a culture that kind of spanned that whole area back in very early times. We're talking back thousands of years here. So there's a lot of common ground between these cultures. So I'm going to share the sorts of teachings that I work with, which are an amalgamation of the Mongolian and the Tibetan. And they will be influenced a little bit by Tibetan Buddhism because I am a Tibetan Buddhist. So I'll be talking a little bit about karma and about past lives and reincarnation and all of that kind of stuff because they actually feature in and take a part in the whole kind of bigger picture of Windhorse. So the teachings are that when you're born, you're born with a certain degree of Windhorse. You come into the world with a certain amount, a certain energy package. And this is determined from your past lives, your karma, and how much kind of merit, how much wind horse you generated in those past lives, which you are able to bring into this one. And it relates to the circumstances in which you're born, the karma that you're playing out, whether you're born to a society that is at peace or at war, whether you're born into a family that is at peace or at war, whether you are loved, nurtured, cared for, or whether you're not, how much financial support and sort of security there is, everything, all of this affects your wind horse because wind horse is to do with that place that you're born into. And of course, wind horse, the wind horse that you bring into this world affects how you're born. The two go hand in hand, dance together in a very complex way. So somebody with very poor degree of wind horse will be born into a situation where they will have very little choice. They will be perhaps born into a very poor situation or a situation of strife so that they are trapped much more than somebody who was born with a larger quantity of wind horse that might be born into a more auspicious family or a more auspicious circumstance. So wind horse affects how you're born and how you're born affects your wind horse and the way that you develop your wind horse in this life. Wind horse is also related to soul loss. So if you have uh, something happen in your life that causes you to lose a bit of your soul, and of course if you've been listening to these podcasts and read and studied other bits of shamanism, you'll know a little bit about uh, soul loss and the whole kind of thing about soul retrieval and stuff. So soul loss reduces wind horse. And vice versa, lack of wind horse creates circumstances where soul loss can happen. So let's look at some of the signs of low wind horse, low energy in that way. And you're going to see parallels with soul loss here, or I've no doubt. 
So if somebody has a low degree of wind horse, they will be more at the effect of the world. They will be pushed around perhaps more from pillar to post than somebody who has a lot of wind horse. They will be able to control their life situation far less effectively. They will probably be less affluent than somebody who has a lot of wind horse and have less ability to draw finances, money, riches, property, wealth towards them. They will probably suffer from a greater chance of being ill. They may well die younger. They may have unfortunate love life. They may not be able to make friends with people. They may not be able to find a suitable marriage. And if they are married or have a relationship, it may not be a happy one. Their children may also suffer because, of course, if you're in a family that has low wind horse, then a soul that gets born that is lacking wind horse is likely to be born into that family because it kind of becomes a self-perpetuating place and it's a cosy nest for somebody with that kind of karma. So they're going to be born into that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. And it becomes a cycle that is difficult to break out of, which can only be broken out of in kind of slow ways generally. If you get born because you have a lack of wind horse into a family where the wind horse circumstances don't enable you to develop wind horse, then you're likely to live a life where you don't develop much wind horse, die and get born again into that kind of circumstance. It becomes a trap. And so in Buddhism and in shamanism, Buddhists and shamans and people of that kind of ilk tried to cultivate wind horse and they do that in different ways and I'll come to that later but that development is kind of critical it's it's what you might consider to be spiritual development in a way and part of the big work of shamans and buddhist lamas and whatever is to help people it's the, it's the role of social workers too, ideally, in a good world. It's what we do. We work in whatever way we do. We work with people that have low wind horse. And we aim to try and make their lot in life better and encourage them in finding ways to increase their wind horse. Now, if you're living in a secular Western world and you're a social worker, you do that through those sorts of ways. But you know, kind of getting them better housing or finding them a job or helping them with benefits or whatever. You're trying to encourage them to become bigger people, yeah, for want of a better way of putting it. And that bigger personness is increasing their wind horse. We don't have the concept of wind horse in the West, of course, but like I say, in Tibetan places like that, it's a very common concept. And so a lama or a shaman is working to alleviate the lack of wind horse of their client, just like a social worker in the West, only the social worker in the West kind of doesn't know it. They may know it on an instinctive level. I think a lot of them do, but it's kind of not in the textbooks. And of course, you're lacking wind horse. Your wind horse level is running on half empty and so is mine. 
We're all of us lacking wind horse. Our culture, there's a cultural karma, just like there is an individual karma. Our culture has a lack of wind horse. There are very few people that sparkle. And you know them when you see them. Some people really sparkle. They are full of soul. They are full of wind horse. But our culture is depleting, I would say, at the moment. I think there's a lot of kind of craziness and chaos around with all of the environmental damage that's been happening and with COVID coming in and the decline of our political systems. And that is all down to the wind horse of a culture and the karma of a culture. It's a very complex subject. It really is. And I don't begin to understand it. And I wouldn't sit here and teach it, you know, in any depth and pontificate as to what it all is about. Not in big ways, because, you know, I'm just a stupid two-legged and I don't know enough. Goodness me, and my wind horse is not that great. But if you've got a little bit of wind horse maybe a little bit more than the person down the road that you kind of help out, then you help them. And maybe sometime they're going to help you. We help each other. That's what community is about. And so don't think that you're kind of all snazzy with wind horse seeping from all of your paws. Uh, is that kind of paws like the things on the end of your feet? I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess it would be hooves, wouldn't it, if it was wind horse? Anyway, I'm Going off the point. But don't think that you're the bee's knees because you're not. And I'm not the bee's knees either. We're all suffering from a lack of wind horse in our cultures. And so we do the best that we can and we try and help other people. So wind horse is a very interesting concept. So if you've got a lot of wind horse, if you are born because you have that wind horse accumulated from past lives or you manage to do things in this life to accumulate it, what does that look like? I've talked about what it looks like if you haven't got very much. But what does it look like if you've got a lot? Well, I guess it's pretty obvious. You're going to be able to draw things to you. You're going to be probably more financially secure. You're going to be probably charismatic to some degree. You're going to be able to choose your life better, easier. It's going to flow easier. Circumstances and opportunities will open up. Life will just be a damn sight easier. And again, you know, like I say, if, if that is happening for you, it's not about you being cocky and thinking, hey, I got more windows than that guy. Because that really, well, that's a pretty good way to lose wind horse, to be honest. So you don't do that. Wind horse is something that you cherish and cultivate, certainly, but you don't boast about. You don't kind of think you're the bee's knees. Because seriously, that is a good way to lose wind horse and a good way to generate karma that is going to create a lack of wind horse for you. So how do you maintain a low level of wind horse? Well, like I say, you kind of get yourself born into a family where there isn't a lot of surplus wind horse around so that opportunities are not likely to come your way. And probably you won't be very well educated or at least won't taught to be um, kind of aware 
I guess is a good way of saying it. Awareness is different to education. Some people don't have education, but they have a lot of natural awareness. And that indicates that they've got a certain degree of wind horse. So you're not going to be terribly aware if you are low in wind horse. You're going to be somebody that kind of thinks more about the mundane, the creature comforts of life and uh, probably doesn't have a lot of kind of spiritual interest and uh, is somebody that um, is kind of keeps their head down and doesn't make waves potentially and uh, plods, I think is a nice way of putting it. Um, probably with not a lot of kind of curiosity about the world because again, that's to do with awareness and that's to do with wind horse. So you're just going to live your life and do what you do and probably kind of get through life the best way you can without thinking too much about it and uh, and then kind of probably get born again into that kind of circumstance. Having a low level of wind horse does not in any way make a person inferior, does not cast a derogatory shadow upon them in any way, shape or form. It is simply a natural phenomenon and is a result of the choices of life that they have made. And remember that we all have a lack of wind horse. We all need to seek to develop it. And I would say that everybody is healthy. This is a bit from psychotherapy. One of the, the, the nuggets of wisdom that I picked up when I trained as a psychotherapist is that everybody is healthy. And everybody, however bizarre it may look to other people, everybody chooses the healthiest option they're able to make given the circumstances of their life. So somebody with low wind horse will still be making the best opportunities of what they have, just as we all do. And we all make the best choices because we're all intrinsically healthy beings. This is a positive way of looking at the world and a positive way of looking at other people. We are all of us, in effect, cripples, doing the best that we can with the resources that we have, given the circumstances that our lives have gone through. And that's the same whether we are neurotic about something or whether we have low wind horse or whatever it is, we are all intrinsically seeking to make the best healthiest choice we can given the circumstances of our life and what we have been through. So somebody with low wind horse is not cursed. They're not an inferior species or anything. They are just on a progression, doing the best they can, plodding the best that we all can. We're all, like I say, we all have low wind horse. We're all plodding the best way that we can so that we can generate our level of wind horse and increase it. Now, we may be aware that we're doing that, or it may just be a natural kind of evolution. I would say as a Buddhist that we all have the potential to be Buddhas. We are all Buddhas. It's like that's the natural state. And so we kind of don't recognize that because of the sort of circumstances of our karma and our lack of wind horse. They obscure us. They obscure our awareness. And so we are trapped within that limited view. 
And so the natural evolution of all kind of souls or sentient beings is to develop to towards that kind of state of, of uh, well, if I say enlightenment, it sounds a bit corny, but that kind of quality of awakenedness. And so we all do it at the pace that we're able to, given the circumstances of our karma and what we've been through. So everybody is an equal person, but the level of wind horse varies between people. So this podcast, I've kind of introduced the concept of wind horse a little bit, but I haven't talked in any way at all about how to develop it and uh, haven't really touched on very much about losing it either. But that will come in the next podcast. I'm going to end this one at this point now. And next one, I'm going to talk about techniques to increase wind horse and why it's important in a kind of shamanic way. Um, So I hope that you'll come back and you'll listen to the next one. Thank you very much for listening to this one. So a few announcements. Some domestic bits, so to speak. If you've enjoyed listening to me rambling on in this podcast, remember that there's lots of other episodes and you can go back into the kind of back catalogue and listen to others. And uh, maybe you'll enjoy those too. And if you want to see me rambling on, I've created a YouTube channel called Three World Shamanism. And I've recorded a few films. I guess there's quite a few. I can't remember how many now, but probably, I don't know, 12, 15, something like that. Uh, Or maybe less. I lose track. Um, But uh, looking at ritual objects and uh, looking at the use of shamanic clothing, the ritual armor that shamans wear and... um, Yeah, all sorts of bits and pieces up there. Um, Some of them are quite short. Some of them, I guess the bulk of them are kind of around about half an hour or more. Uh, So they're they're fairly long. And I include sort of bits of film from other places too. So you can kind of see photos and film of shamans in action, which kind of illustrate the points that I'm talking about. So uh, again, that's, that's Three World Shamanism on YouTube. I will eventually do some more films i'd like to do one about drums but i haven't quite found the time for it yet but it's kind of brewing so i'm hoping that will happen at some point soon and on the theme of three world shamanism see i'm building the brand (laughs) um there's a facebook group which i started earlier this year uh called three world shamanism we've got kind of around about three and a half ish thousand members and um, it's very friendly and very on topic and uh, it's got people who are completely new to shamanism right through to lineage holding traditional shamans from Mongolia and Nepal and places like that and it's very friendly like I said and people ask questions and other people respond and it's just a real good resource and I'm I'm really pleased with it actually I'm really pleased with the way it's kind of developed as as a community and uh, you'd be very welcome to come and join it and take part if you're on Facebook and if you're not on Facebook consider joining because even if you hate Facebook it's worth it for the three world shamanism group so maybe I'll see you in there and that would be good and we've also got lots of files Uh, There's lots of PDF files, articles and uh, some bits and pieces from Sacred Hoop magazine and um, uh, there's even some books that you can download, all of the PDFs you can download to read in your leisure 
And uh, there's also a film library. We've built a film library in the uh, in, in the albums in the in the Facebook group. So there are uh, full-length documentaries about different aspects of shamanism and different cultures. Quite a few. I guess there's probably 25 or 30. Uh, and new ones keep getting added to those too periodically. So it's become quite a resource. I'm biased, of course, but I think it's probably the best shamanism group on Facebook. It's certainly kind of worth perhaps being a member of. Come and check us out. Come and have a look at us. And while we're on the topic of the Sacred Hoop magazine, uh, I'll give a shout out for that. Sacred Hoop is... Uh, a world-leading magazine about shamanism. You've probably heard about it before if you've heard of a podcasts. Uh, we've been going since 1993, and uh, I'm just about to put issue 110 together. We are digital. We are very low price because we're digital, and it's available, uh, you know, in PDF and various other formats. It's also available in paper at a cost price paper issue for subscribers. Um, we don't make any money at all on that. Uh, we use a print-on-demand printer in America. You pay the printer, they print you a proper magazine and they post it to you. That's how I have to get mine as well. And uh, they're very good quality printings. They're just, well, they're just basically real magazines. So, I mean, it's, it's no different. But our subscription is digital. Uh, we're very colourful. We, uh, we, we pride ourselves in doing very high-quality, kind of image-rich uh, issues. So uh, each one I try and make as attractive as possible to look at. There's lots and lots of photos and things. And, um, yeah, what can I say? Uh, come and have a look at us. Uh, if you want to check out a sample copy, you can go to uh, sacredhoop.org forward slash sample dot html and if you want to subscribe here's a low-cost kind of uh, special offer which is sacredhoop.org forward slash offer dot html all of those web addresses are in lowercase if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help by supporting it financially a little bit uh, you'd be very welcome it helps to pay for the hosting because we have to pay for the hosting to actually create the podcast and you know it helps pay for microphones and all of those kind of necessities um, and you can do that by sending a paypal donation to donation at sacredhoop.org every little helps and if you're not able to or don't wish to that's fine too whatever i just hope that you enjoy the podcast and uh yeah i will hopefully talk to you on the next one thank you very much for listening to this one and so i'll uh, let the defy collective play out continuing istanpita gaeta wandering off into the distance with their face masks to protect them from the plague and their pomanders of sweet smelling herbs to protect them from the plague also and uh yeah, the governments haven't made us wear pomanders. They, they're lacking, you know, they're really lacking. They could make us carry pomanders around, just like they used to back then. You could sniff them whenever you went past somebody that was a plague carrier. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Many blessings. Bye-bye.